Jeremiah 29.11. If you have your Bibles or your phones, whatever you use, open up. We're going to have a little fun with this verse today. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29.11. How many of you memorized this verse when you were a kid? This I did, okay. How many of you memorized this when you were an adult? <laughs> All right. This was our theme verse at Stony Brook Christian School this year. And as I mentioned earlier, um, I work at Stony Brook, along with several of you. And we are celebrating 40 years of God's faithfulness as a school, which is pretty amazing. And we chose this verse that God knows the plans he has for us. Um, and... Forty years ago, who knew we'd still be standing here today? And this past week, the Elder Board of Coast and the, the Stony Brook Board of, of Stony Brook just signed a new lease agreement for another, it's a few years old, but another 50 years. We're going to be partnering together on this hill till the year 2070. Can you believe that? And it's just a blessing. What's that? For a dollar a year. That's right. I was going to bring a check for $47 and say paid in full. Um, but maybe we'll do that at a later time. So as I started thinking about this verse, um, we're all getting ready to make plans, right? Summer's coming. We just, most public schools are finishing this week. Stony Brook, we still have three weeks to go. Um, but this is when we start making summer plans. And so I just wanted to share a few stories from last summer. We had an adventurous summer as the Grimm family, and I'm going to pick on my daughter Lexi right now, because Lexi turned 18 last year. And do you know what she wanted to do for her 18th birthday? She wanted to go skydiving with me. And so we went skydiving. I jumped out of a plane on purpose. tell you, that was quite the rush. Jack, would you jump out of a plane? No. No? Yeah. You're too, you're never too old. Sometimes life can seem like we're jumping out of a plane. <laughs> Different circumstances, and it's just that rush, a free fall. Went to Yellowstone last summer. I got to tell you, it by far exceeded all my expectations. Um, I thought I would be saying, oh, cool, that was neat. Um, but it is pretty awe-inspiring. If you ever get a chance, add it to your bucket list and check out Yellowstone. While we were there, um, not just all, what are those called? Hot spring or hot geysers. Um, an old faithful, but another big aspect of Yellowstone are the animals. And what are the biggest animals? The buffalo, the bison. And you can't really see it there too well. Um, but we saw a lot of, a lot of bison. And on this trail, you can kind of see the trail there. And you see that bison off in the distance. Our car's on the other side of that bison. And we had to make a decision. Do we keep walking or do we just wait forever? Um, and so we walked and, you know, all the rangers say you're not supposed to get within 25 yards 
of bison because they're unpredictable, right? You don't know what's going to happen. And so we walked. I have a video if you want to see it. Um, but right when we get to the other side of that bison, that bison turns around and starts coming towards us. Um, and we're like, we're out of here. And, and we keep walking. Um, and so the next picture... Yeah, who knew that creation can make things that big? But as we talk about plans today, sometimes our plans turn out like that. Lexi went to Montana State for a semester. Woohoo! Drove her on our way there. We took a little detour through Zion. Um, which is about a three-hour out-of-the-way detour. Um, Zion's another gorgeous place of God's creation. But on the way there, um, we went through the most gnarly storm. Probably wasn't the wisest idea to drive into the storm um, when all the cars are leaving the park and the park's closing. Um, We could not see hardly in front of us at all. Lightning's going, and it was dangerous. (laughs) We're like adventure, um, but about twenty minutes later, just God's beauty. That storm passed. Sometimes life and our plans, we enter seasons of storms in our life. Life turns out like a big pile, and sometimes it seems like we're just jumping out of a plane. It's just a free for all. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. You know what? This verse, as I started digging, actually has nothing to do with our plans. <laughs> Yet we use that verse for that. And I think we can, because I think there's other places in Scripture that validate that God does know our plans. Um, but this morning, I wanted to share the back story of this verse. Um... And that word for plans, I'm just curious in your Bibles, how many of you have your Bibles open to Jeremiah 29, 11? How many of them say something different? What does yours say, Dustin? It says thoughts. It says thoughts. In the New International Version, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. In the New King James and other versions, it says, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. And this just totally wrecked my whole message. I'm like, thoughts and plans, those sound like two very different words. Um, I know I think a lot of things that don't always turn out to be my plans. When I'm principaling over at Stony Brook and I see kids in my office, generally it's because kids thought things and they didn't have time to stop it from coming out of their mouth in time. Um, and our thoughts don't always turn out to be our plans. I think about a lot of things in my mind that probably shouldn't pan out to be plans. And if you're being honest with yourself, you've probably thought about a lot of things um, that don't always materialize into your plans. And so I was thinking, what's the disconnect here? You know, how can it be he knows his um, the thoughts I have towards you, and at the same time, I know the plans I have for you. Where the Hebrew word is mahashaba. Say mahashaba. It's the same word. 
Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts, it's that word Mahashabah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my Mahashabah, my thoughts, higher than your thoughts. With God, his thoughts are the same as his plans. He's perfect. And the one word that kept coming to mind over and over and over again is that we serve a sovereign God, an all-knowing God, where his plans are being accomplished all throughout this history. Despite our circumstances, his thoughts are his plans. And so this morning, as we think about this verse, for I know the plans I have for you, I wanted to take just a few minutes and give you the backstory to actually put this verse in context and then apply it um, to our lives today. This passage is not about our plans. It's about his plans. At the time Jeremiah the prophet wrote this passage, the kingdom of Judah was entering into 70 years of exile. 70 years is a long time. I mean, it's a lifetime. So I wanted to peel back the layers and tell the story um, of King Josiah. Pastor Tom is going through a series of kings. So just by way of review, or just for your knowledge, I have some treats to give out. But who was the very first king of Israel? Who said Saul? Uh, might not make it. I have smarties for those of you who are going to be smarty this morning. King Saul was the very first king of Israel. Who was next? Smarty. David. Who is next? I heard it somewhere over here. I'm just going to throw whoever gets it. Solomon. Who is next? Oh, yeah, it was brilliant. Rehoboam and Jeroboam. See, after Solomon... Israel got divided into two kingdoms, right? The north and the south. Uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And then about 400 years pass along with different kings. And if you read through First and Second Kings and the Chronicles, um, there's always a passage. So-and-so became king. They reigned for so many years. And they either did what? Good in the sight of the Lord or evil in the sight of the Lord. And by the time we get to the prophet Jeremiah... Jeremiah started prophesying or started his ministry um, during the 18th, well, don't go to the next slide yet, um, during the 18th year of King Josiah. Now, I want to talk a little bit about King Josiah. Who knows how old he was when he became king? Eight years old. You guys are smart. You must have grown up at Coast Bible Church. Eight years old. Think about that. I got my friend here, Mr. Kevin Schneider. Come here, Kevin. Come up on stage. Let's give Kevin a hand. I got permission to embarrass him. Kevin's my buddy. He's in second grade at Stony Brook. Kevin, how old are you? Eight. Eight years old. How would you like to be president of the United States right now? Uh, I don't know. You don't know? I don't 
I don't know either. But can you believe Josiah became king when he was eight years old and all the responsibility that took to run a nation? Let's give it up for Kevin. Eight years old. All right, you can go sit down. Eight years old. Running the southern kingdom of Judah. Do you think he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord or evil in the eyes of the Lord? Right. Yeah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Which is amazing because his dad and his grandpa um, did evil. And in fact, his grandpa Manasseh did more evil than anyone before him. And it's because of Manasseh's sins and his wickedness um, that God's going to bring judgment on the southern kingdom of Judah. But he was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned for 31 years until he was 39. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning to the, aside to the right or to the left. If you have your Bibles, open up to Kings chapter 23. I'm not going to read this whole chapter, but I just want to give you a highlight. And this might be hard to see. Um, it is on that screen. Um, some of the things Josiah did during his reign. Almost every verse in Second Kings 23 just says he did this, he did this, he did this. He started a clean house. In Chronicles, we learn when he was 16 is when he turned his heart to the Lord. Um, and if you're a teenager here today, God changes lives. He changed Josiah's life when he was living in a culture and a society that was just opposed to the things of God. When he was 20, he started cleaning house. Here's just some highlights of some of the things he did. The king, Josiah, ordered the priests to remove all uh, from the temple of the Lord, all the articles made for Baal and, and the Ashereth and all the starry hosts. He did away with the idolatrous priests. He took the Asherah pole from the temple. He tore down the quarter of the male shrine prostitutes. He desecrated the high places so that no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire to Molech. Furthermore, Josiah got rid of the mediums and spiritists and the household of gods, the idols, and all the other detestable things seen in Judah and Jerusalem. And it goes on. If you read those two chapters, 23 and 24, he really did clean house. Um, Israel or Judah at that time was just um, detestable to the Lord. At the end of Second Kings chapter 23, it says this about Josiah, that neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his strength in accordance to the law of Moses. Just think about that. Here's this young man who loved the Lord as God with all his heart, all his soul, in all his strength. You're familiar with that passage, right? That's our job in life. Despite the culture that we live in, Josiah lived during a time when the culture all around him was not pleasing to the Lord. And he was determined to use his days to make things right. But in verse 26, there's a key word that really stood out to me. Nevertheless, even though Josiah did all the right things and there was never a king before or after him that loved the Lord with all his heart, nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away 
from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that his grandpa Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my presence as I removed Israel. I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple about which I said, my name shall be there. When we talk about Jeremiah 20 and 11, this is what he's referring to. The kingdom of Judah is about to be wiped out and a remnant is going to be taken into exile in Jerusalem. So this is the reign. This is when Jeremiah started prophesying. And back in Jeremiah, Jeremiah has this dream in chapter 24 about two baskets of figs. You guys familiar with this story? I'm going to tell you. Um, he has these two, this dream about two baskets of figs, good figs and bad figs. And in Jeremiah 24, he says, And the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of Babylon, uh, the Babylonians. In verse 6, And my eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. And then later in chapter 25, he says, This whole country of Judah will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for how long? Seventy years. But when the seventy years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord. And I will make it desolate forever. That's the context behind Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans. This is what he's referring to. So I'd like to just take a moment and read this whole passage of Jeremiah chapter 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not let uh, listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found in you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And will bring you back to the place which I have carried you into exile. And now you know the context behind Jeremiah 29, 11. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You know that word you is actually a plural you? It's not I know the plans I have for you or the plans I have for you. It's plural. It's I know the plans I have for y'all, referring to the kingdom of Judah. I know the plans I have for y'all. Yes, you're about to go into exile for 70 years. Boy, that doesn't sound fun. (laughs) Sometimes God's plans don't always line up with our plans or despite our plans. Sometimes our plans feel like a big pile of... But God knows... He knows. Sometimes our plans feel like we're rushing out of a plane in our circumstances. He knows. Sometimes our plans turn into a big storm, a season of life that we're going through. Guess what? He knows. There's no surprises to God. Despite our health, despite our wealth, despite what's going on in our life, we serve a sovereign God who's above it all. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his purposes are being accomplished to his end. And we have the joy of riding along with him in that. That's why, despite our circumstances, we can trust in him with all of our heart. And not lean on our own understanding. Because he knows. That's why when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil. Because he knows. That's why when we suffer trials of many kinds, we can face them with joy. Jesus told us, in this world we'll face many tribulations. But he has overcome the world. Jesus tells us that when the world hates us, It hated him first. He knows. We have a hope and a future because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. God had a plan for the kingdom of Judah. Seventy years of exile and he was going to bring them back. And guess what? That happened. But on a bigger scale, God has a plan for his church, his people, you and me. Um, We serve a sovereign and living God. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rabbit trail right now because God's plans don't only apply to us personally but as a church community, as a nation of Israel but I believe um, nations, God has plans for nations He sets up kingdoms, tears down kingdoms and His will is being accomplished um, throughout history And on this Memorial Day weekend, I just wanted to share a little history lesson about our nation. Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And I think in this context, it was referring to the nation of Israel. But I think the principle is true. Any nation that honors God, I think, would be blessed. Every year, I take our eighth graders at Stony Brook to Washington, D.C., It's an amazing, amazing trip. We go to Washington, D.C., up to Gettysburg, um, and up to New York. And I am a firm believer 
that our nation was founded on godly principles. That God had a unique purpose for this amazing nation that we live in. And I want to just tell a story about George Washington, one of our founding fathers. Did you know that he was a man of prayer? He was. He actually has a book of prayers that he, that he wrote. I want to read two quotes from him. This first prayer um, was called the Earnest Prayer. It was written in June on June eighth, in seventeen eighty three, when he circulated it to the thirteen at that time um, states. He says, I now make it my earnest prayer that God would have the United States in his holy protection, that he would incline the hearts of the citizens to cultivate a spirit of subordination and obedience to government, to entertain a brotherly affection and love for one another, for their fellow citizens of the United States at large, and particularly for their brethren who have served in the field. And finally, that he would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and pacific temper of mind, which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion. And without an humble imitation of whose example on these things, we can never hope to be a happy nation. He called on all of us as cities, as citizens of this great country that we live in to do everything with justice and to love mercy you recognize that verse Micah 6 8 and he asks us to especially if I can find it here to remember the brethren that have served in the field And that's what we're doing this weekend on Memorial. And we're remembering those that gave the ultimate sacrifice. But the last sentence is what really stands out to me. And for you young ones, this is kind of old English, but let me translate. How can we expect to be a happy nation for not living by the principles God has ordained us to live by? And I don't know about you, and I was sharing with the junior hires last week in Sunday school. Um, you know, I don't know if our nation's at the same place it was 230 years ago. Let me explain. This next picture is, um, actually, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you where this is. Who knows where this is? What? Supreme Court? Nope, not the Supreme Court. I'll give you a clue. Where was the first U.S. capital in our nation? Where was the first U.S. capital? Not Philadelphia. It was not Washington, D.C. It was New York. This is Federal Hall, New York City. This is where George Washington swore the oath to become the first president of the United States of America. This is Federal Hall. Um, If you look right, you can't see it, but off to the left, kind of behind you in that picture is the New York Stock Exchange. So if you've been to New York, and you know where the New York Stock Exchange is near Battery Park. Um, That is where our first capital was. And George Washington put his hand on the Bible 
before Congress, and he had the Bible opened up to Deuteronomy chapter 28. You guys familiar with that passage? It's the passage in the Bible that talks about the blessings and the curses for a nation that follows him. You'll be blessed if you obey my commands, and you'll be cursed if you walk away from my commands. Now, the United States is not Israel. I'm not making that comparison at all. But I think our nation wanted to be identified as a nation that followed God's principles. When did George Washington swear the oath of office? 1789. Good job, Reed. Does it say on the picture? Oh, on the other picture? Thanks for paying attention. In that federal hall, he put his hand on the Bible. Bible opened up to Deuteronomy, and he gives his, um, swears his oath in the office, and then he goes outside before about 10,000 people and gives his first inaugural address. Um, and I'm not going to read his inaugural address, but I want to read um, just a quote from it. He says, Since we ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. Let me read that again a little bit modern English. How can we be persuaded that the happy smiles of heaven can ever be expected on a nation that disregards those very principles that we're supposed to live by? That's a pretty powerful quote. In his inauguration address, he's calling us as a nation to live by the principles God designed us to live by. Right after his inauguration, George Washington walked about three-tenths of a mile right up Broadway. If you've been there, you go by Trinity Church, um, walk up the street a little bit, and you get to this church. Um, I have a picture of it here called St. Paul's Chapel. Just about a 10-minute walk. It still stands there today. That's the actual church that George Washington went into right after his inauguration address. It spent two hours, had a two-hour worship service to pray for our nation and dedicate our nation to the Lord. Do you know that? It's pretty amazing. This church stands right across the street from where 9-11 happened. Right across the street is where the Twin Towers are. I just want to go through a series of photos real quick. That was September 11th, 2001. You see the, the steeple of St. Paul's Church and the towers coming down. You see our first responders. You see the smoke and debris. And then you see St. Paul's Church. Do you realize all the destruction, carnage around on that day? Not one window was shattered on St. Paul's Church. And it's right there. Everything around utterly destroyed. But this church where George Washington dedicated our nation to the Lord... Um, it became a refuge, a place of safe haven for our first responders. And our nation collectively sent notes, and it's hard to see in that picture, but that place was just plastered with encouraging notes from all around our nation. 
and firefighters would be laying on the pews, and that's where they would go. St. Paul's Chapel became an oasis of heaven in the midst of hell. George Washington actually has a pew there. Um, On the next slide. That's where he attended church services regularly while the capital was in New York City. I look at our nation today, I'm not making any judgments, but just observations. I don't think any of our political leaders today, after being sworn into office, are going to go to church and have a two-hour worship service dedicating their time and service to the Lord. In fact, when we watch the news today, our society and our culture is just screaming everything that's against God, right? Um, And I get the sense that kind of like King Josiah lived in a culture that was just anti-God, anti-everything, he stood firm, and he did what was right. He loved the Lord, the God, with all his heart, soul, mind, despite the circumstances around us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Whether we're talking about your personal plans your personal circumstances, he knows. Whether we're talking about nations, he knows. Whether our nation's entering into a time of judgment, who knows? But he knows. And despite what's going on, we can be like Josiah and love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength. Our plans don't always make sense. But we serve a sovereign God, a God who sees the big picture. We're on the winning side. So in the meantime, let's put our trust in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We thank you for your word, for your scripture, that you are a sovereign God. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Lord, as we live our lives in a culture that's increasingly becoming anti-God, anti-Christ, help us to stand firm and be able to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, strength and to love each other. Lord, in our own personal lives, Lord, sometimes life... It's just messy. It's out of control, like jumping out of a plane. There's things that don't seem fair. It's messy. Storms of life. But yet, Lord, you know the plans you have for us. And it's because you're sovereign that despite our circumstances, we can lean in and trust in you. You are our hope. You are our future. Lord, help us to trust you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.